Here we go. Welcome back to the show. This is the ADF Underground brought to you by All Day Football. What's up, y'all? I am your host, Chris. They call me Chows. Welcome back to the show. This is a big one. This is Championship Weekend, AFC, NFC Championship Round. Four teams left in the postseason, vying for the right to get to the Super Bowl to finally hoist that Super Bowl trophy. We had the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Tennessee Titans and the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Green Bay Packers. What a weekend it was. A great showing in both championship matches. So let's kick it back first for the Tennessee Titans taking travel to Kansas City to face the Chiefs. So this game started out favoring, Vegas had the line favoring the Chiefs. I believe it was at seven or seven and a half points. We took the under in this contest, believing it was going to be a tighter matchup um, simply because of how well Derrick Henry has been running. I mean, everybody's been seeing it as well. This was the concern. Did I believe the Titans were going to win this contest? No. I still believed Kansas City would prevail at home with the crowd on their back, Patrick Mahomes and company doing their thing. Even though Derrick Henry has rushed for an astronomical amount of yardage over his last five games, it was very hard for me to believe that Tennessee would walk in and steal this game. However, I did take the under in the spread simply because I thought this game was going to be close, and that's exactly how it started. I mean, the Titans jumped out very, I wouldn't say quickly, because they did string together drives to uh, keep Mahomes on the sideline, but they did jump out to a lead in that first quarter to 10-0, and the defense of the Titans was actually the more surprising uh, factor as they were they were stifling the, the Kansas City offense to, to a degree that you would actually believe that this could be, in fact, the upset in the making. I mean, Kansas City did come back with Tyreek Hill late in the first quarter. Patrick Mahomes found Hill for the touchdown. It was on that shovel pass, so it was credited as a touchdown pass to narrow the lead 10-7. But right in the second quarter, again, the, the Titans put together a decently long drive, nearly seven minutes, and they score again on a trick play where they got uh, Dennis Kelly, the touchdown pass from Ryan Tannehill. So here we go again. It was 17-7 in the second quarter, and you really were wondering, would this be it for Kansas City? Would Tennessee run the ball that much more with Derrick Henry to kill the clock, to capitalize on all the time of possession? Because that was our notion going into this game. If the Titans were to win it, they would have to control the clock. They would have to run the ball with Derrick Henry. So, Something flipped a switch. I mean, we've seen this from Kansas City, not only in that Houston contest um, uh, a week prior, but we've seen it from the Chiefs for a, a lot of the season. They were a slow starting team in that first quarter. I think it has a lot to do with the lack of running ability this club really has. 
Um, but something happened in that second quarter where Andy Reid got his guys together and, and it was the Kansas City show once again. Tyreek Hill scores the second touchdown. Patrick Mahomes made an unbelievable run. I mean, if you missed this game, shame on you because it was a good one. And this Mahomes run is one you definitely need to go back and witness on the replay. He made people miss. He juked his way all the way and took a massive hit. Even as uh, Kenny Vaccaro was trying to strip the ball from him, he still found his way into the end zone for the touchdown. And then into the fourth quarter, you knew this game was on lockdown. Kansas City scores with Damian Williams and then a monster bomb to Sammy Watkins. I mean, Tennessee added one late to make it look closer than what it was. Final score was Kansas City 35, Tennessee Titans 24. But, I mean, when you look at it again, this game really wasn't close after that second quarter. I mean, as soon as Tyreek Hill got his second touchdown, you could feel the momentum being drawn from the Titans. They really couldn't muster much of anything. I mean, the biggest storyline here was Derrick Henry was limited massively. He still had 19 carries but he only had 69 yards, a 3.6 average. He did find the end zone the one time, but, I mean, it wasn't near enough. You you would have uh, envisioned um, the Titans to have switched a couple things up. I mean, early on, the play-action pass was working, so you knew that Kansas City was going to adjust enough to make and take away your play-action pass, especially when they were stopping Henry in the latter stages. So you really needed to change it up if you were uh, the offense of the Titans. It just didn't really happen. They went into a shell. Uh, Ryan Tannehill really struggled to find open men in that second half. And, I mean, that's basically all she wrote. When it comes to the Titans now leaving the playoffs, not being able to keep their Cinderella season going, you really have to question what this team is going to look like in 2020 um, for the next season. When uh, when you look at it, they still have Derrick Henry to re-sign. That's going to be a monster contract. And do you stick with the notion of not paying running backs elite level money so Derrick Henry is a different kind of breed he is big he's strong and he's fast and he's proven to be a very reliable commodity especially in the second half of the season he he turns on his switch and he starts to turn into a different player than in the beginning of the season but under Mike Vrabel you can tell there is a commitment to the run and then on top of it now, you you have the question marks. Marcus Mariota, he is a free agent. You are obviously not going to bring him back because you replaced him with Ryan Tannehill. Do you pay Ryan Tannehill big dollars to come back and be your starting quarterback? Or do you go to free agency and pick up the, the number of quarterbacks that will be on the open market, a.k.a. Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, uh, Teddy Bridgewater and company? Do you go out and pay one of these men to come to your club rather than signing Ryan Tannehill? It is going to be a very, very interesting uh, debate. It's going to be very interesting to see exactly what the Tennessee Titans will do with their roster. They do have a lot of good things to build from, but when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs first time in 50 years they break the snide and they will finally get their chance to win another Super Bowl so this will be very exciting for Chiefs fans they will be hopping they will be ready for this showing 
I am very, very interested to see how the Chiefs will come out with their game plan against who will be their opponent. Let's jump to that game next. The Green Bay Packers take travel to San Francisco to face the 49ers. So again, Vegas made this spread exactly the same as the one they gave the Chiefs at 7.5 points. And I mean, I took it. I took the bait because I really believed in what I saw from the San Francisco 49ers defense the week prior against the Minnesota Vikings. When D. Ford and Quan Alexander came back from injury, it really, I said it last week, and, I'm gonna, and I say it again this week because it was very clear. Quan Alexander changes the entire fabric of this defense. What he is able to do in the middle of the field, he allows D. Ford, Nick Bosa, uh, DeForest Buckner, he allows them to do whatever they want to do in the rushing category. And then adding on top of that, you add D. Ford back to this defensive front and it just creates mismatch that is a complete nightmare for any offensive line. So going into this contest, I really was not even a debate. I really believed that San Francisco was going to cover the 7.5 points. I even had conversations with some of my colleagues to say that this could even turn into a blowout. And it did. The San Francisco 49ers did win this game 37-20. to The Packers did score 13 points in that fourth quarter to make it look a little better than what it was. I mean, the 49ers were up 27-0 at halftime. It was a complete disaster defensively for the Packers. I mean, Raheem Mostert, he was your guy in this contest. Tevin Coleman, he started out as the team starter for the running game, but he ended up falling to an injury. Looked like it was his forearm. I was fearful that he had broken his forearm, but in actuality, they did confirm, uh, I believe, today that it was his uh, shoulder. He, he might have separated his shoulder. They're still not ruling him out for the Super Bowl, but that was a big loss. But in the, in the long run, it didn't matter because Raheem Mostert, he carried the ball 29 times. 220 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, and he found the end zone four times. This was your game MVP. Mostert was on fire. There was absolutely nothing the Green Bay Packers could do. They couldn't stop him anytime he was trying to run the ball. And if it makes it any more clear to how simplistic the Kyle Shanahan game plan really was, Jimmy Garoppolo only threw the ball eight times. Times completed six balls for 77 yards. That's it for Jimmy Garoppolo. This would be, I would believe, ranking in one of the top of the easiest quarterback plays in the NFC Championship game. Garoppolo really just had to hand the ball off and throw the ball under 10 times to win this game and to win it at 37 to 20. That is absolutely impressive. So the, the San Francisco 49ers, they advance on to the Super Bowl as well. Behind the stout running of this, uh, this uh, backfield, we will see if uh, Tevin Coleman will return for the Super Bowl. We still don't know. He's going to be a question mark. But with Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert, you still have a dynamic dual potential that you could run the ball on the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe not not so more with ease because they have uh, shored up a lot of inadequacy on that defense in the Chiefs or with the Chiefs, but uh, it should be a great showing nonetheless. When we discuss what the Green Bay Packers are, so 
a 13-3 club, first in the NFC North. Now they are headed to the offseason, and the debate comes alive when it comes to Aaron Rodgers' legacy. So I need to dive into this just a little bit because I took a little bit of heat on Twitter. I posted the comments saying that I really didn't understand how so many have been saying that Aaron Rodgers is a GOAT, the greatest of all time. I mean, we rank the greatest of all time now within a, a, a top number. So obviously Tom Brady, Drew Brees, um, Peyton Manning, they should be in the top echelons in the GOAT category. Obviously Tom Brady being the top dog out of all of them. But when you start discussing the the amount of greatest of all time quarterbacks, People have been preaching this about Aaron Rodgers for a very long time, and I simply don't, I can't endorse it anymore. I was on board. I believe Aaron Rodgers is great. Don't get me wrong. The things that he has done, the statistics that he's put up, absolutely impressive. I mean, I believe he's eighth in TD passes, 13th in yardage. Uh, all time so even then when you start dissecting the stats he is 37 or 36 years old he will play at minimum another two to three years I would think barring any any major injury but when you start dipping down into what his legacy truly is I read an article today coincidentally but on Bleacher Report which also backed the same opinion that I have saying that he cannot be considered an all-time great at the position simply because he doesn't have the pedigree in all statistical categories. There was one great point that suggested Aaron Rodgers at this point still is number three all-time in Green Bay Packers quarterback history behind Bart Starr. Brett Favre, he ranks number three because of the fact of uh, championship, MVP, league MVPs, uh, statistical performance. I mean, great. Aaron Rodgers is is one of the best to ever do it when it comes to touchdown to interception ratio. No argument. Will he surpass a lot of these quarterbacks within passing yards? And he, will he get above the 400 touchdown mark for the career? I believe if he plays another three years, it's absolutely a, a, attainable. And then maybe the conversation, it does change. But I mean, how long has it been since Aaron Rodgers has won a Super Bowl? It's going on nine years, almost a decade. So now with all the teams that he has played for, we, we were everyone was blaming Coach uh, Mike McCarthy for all the, the team uh, uh, letdowns when it came to winning and success. But now, without McCarthy, you have young um, uh, Coach LaFleur, who has changed the dynamic of this team to be more balanced, giving them a better defensive unit to help uh, supplant and remove all the responsibility off of Aaron Rodgers so he doesn't have to be the guy to throw the ball all over the field. And he still couldn't do it when it needed to be done. Um, so it was a great article. It did it did back a lot of what I was trying to say. I mean, taking the heat on Twitter, I understand people have al uh, alliances and allegiances to Aaron Rodgers. They have a lot invested. They believe he is what he is. But I think that's the difference. It's the perception versus the reality. If you if you understand what Aaron Rodgers is, he is great. Don't get me wrong. He is one of the greatest quarterbacks. But he is not in that goat category as of today and as of what happened in the NFC Championship game. If he wins that game and goes to the Super Bowl, 
I'm not even discussing this as a topic because then now he has put himself back into that category of taking this club to the Super Bowl once again. It has been too long. I mean, the statistics continue to drop off for Aaron Rodgers. The injuries continue to pile up. So is he the same quarterback? At this point, I can say that he, I feel his skill set is, is somewhat diminishing. Will he be able to play into his 40s like Drew Brees, like Tom Brady? I mean, we'll see. Peyton Manning only got to 39, and we saw uh, what a train wreck his final season was in Denver. So I still like Aaron Rodgers as his game overall, but when we're starting to discuss his legacy, I think it's a very interesting conversation. It's very uh, arguable. I mean, I can see it from both sides, but at this point, I got to stand firm. He has to do a little bit more to put himself into the elite category of the top quarterbacks to ever play this game. As for the 49ers, this is going to be an interesting matchup. We will break the matchup down um, next we, on next week's show, we'll, we'll dedicate the entire show to breaking down the matchup to see exactly um, who will come out on top. Because as of right now, I believe Vegas has us basically as a pick'em game. I believe Kansas City is favored by one point. Um, so, so we'll see how the how the two weeks. Yeah, Kansas City is favored by one and a half points. So we'll see how that changes as the week uh, uh, goes on. People will get healthier. Um, the players, obviously, they'll get healthier, and and we'll be able to see exactly what this matchup should become, and we'll definitely dissect that next week. So instead of uh, ending the show on that note, let's start discussing something, and we'll keep this kind of as a standard for the offseason. Let's see what was trending in the news. I mean, Jason Garrett getting the offensive coordinator job in New York for the New York Giants. This one was a big one. I mean, when you look back at his time in Dallas, I really... I have uneven thoughts as of today on how he is going to make the New York Giants better. I see a lot of Cowboys analysts who are who are clapping at the and laughing at the notion that Garrett goes to a division rival and they believe this is going to be a downfall for the big blue. I'm I'm still of the opinion that I'm kind of on the fence. I see the inadequacy within Jason Garrett's play calling. He can be extremely vanilla um, for a majority of the game with little adjustment uh, happening. Even when the game is going sideways, he still continues to be vanilla, still continues to do the same things, and the team just figures them out. But when you come to a team and your job solely is the offensive coordinator – you can you can make arguments to suggest that being the head coach maybe took away from his play calling duties. Maybe it was too much for him to handle both. So when he comes to the New York Giants, my biggest concern is how will that affect Saquon Barkley? Um, Saquon is in obviously he's still a youthful talent. He's an up and coming superstar in this league. He's coming off a down season where he hurt his ankle and, and he was, he was getting better within the last three games of the season. He looked like the old and old, I I say Saquon of old from his rookie season, who was so dominant. Um, He, he looked that way the final three contests of the 2019 season, but now with Jason Garrett on board, it will be very interesting to see how he will progress um, Daniel Jones. I believe that was the higher more than it is to help Saquon. Jason Garrett played the quarterback position, so 
in that respect, hiring him to assist Daniel Jones in his progression, in his his understanding of the playbook, of the game, to add to the positives that he did this past season. I mean, I understand it from that perspective. I really do. But then when you start to see the statistics that Zeke Elliott did have, it does bode well for Saquon to again be heavily utilized in the pass game as well as the run game. I mean, under Jason Garrett, Zeke Elliott, I don't believe had had much uh, under 300 touches. I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but I think around 280 to 300 touches was the standard. And then you you would add on 50 to 80 targets in the pass game. So Saquon's future to me, I'm I'm a little bit worried only because. Jason Garrett is extremely vanilla. He's not uberly creative, and he could bring down this Giants offense even more. Um, but but as it stands today, I'm still on the fence. I want to see what they do in the offseason to help this offense with the offensive line issues, etc. I want to see what they can do. They obviously have a good receiving core. So, I mean, I don't hate the hire, but like I said, I really want to see a lot more before I actually put my full two cents on the matter. So the next thing that was on the news, we saw Xavier Rhodes' possible cap cut in Minnesota. This shouldn't be a shock to many people if they watch the Minnesota Vikings play football this season. Rhodes is two years removed from being considered one of the best defensive backs in the NFL, and I mean rightfully so. He was locking down the likes of Julio Jones, Mike Evans, OBJ. I mean, these guys were getting just stymied by Xavier Rhodes. This season, I mean, it started late last season, but this season when you started to look at the tape on Xavier Rhodes, you could really see his play falling off, and you just couldn't understand why. The technique wasn't there. The speed wasn't there. He started clutching and grabbing. He started getting more interference penalties, more holding penalties, and he just couldn't stop anybody on the field. Even when the the coaching staff moved him to the secondary receiving option, he still struggled. So, I mean, at his payday, I believe he's getting paid a mammoth amount. I, I think it was in the realm of eight to ten million for next season i totally can understand why the minnesota vikings would be entertaining uh uh making him a cap cut uh, casualty but on the flip side if i'm a team looking to upgrade my secondary and i already have talented defensive backs on my squad i absolutely would give Rhodes another shot I don't think he's washed by any stretch he still is a young player he still has uber amounts of talent maybe just something wasn't right in Minnesota at this point maybe just things were not coming together maybe it was the playbook maybe it was just something that we just couldn't put our finger on because I just don't see him losing that much ability within a year and a half uh, stretch Um, He is far too talented still for me to believe that. So if I am uh, an NFL team, I definitely, definitely would take a shot on Xavier Rhodes. Another interesting topic I saw today was Philip Rivers moves his entire family to Florida. He is from Alabama. This is the thing, the notion that he is moving his family closer to his other family who still lives in the Alabama area. So, 
I find this to be very interesting. First of all, now we're hearing the the scenarios of where could Philip Rivers possibly be uh, playing next next season, simply because he moves to Florida. We know Philip Rivers; he wants his family close to him. So the thought process was, could he be gearing up for a position in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians? I mean, I find this one a little bit hard to believe. Um, if you really don't believe in Jameis Winston as your starting quarterback in Tampa Bay, are what are you really going to commit to Phillip Rivers at this point? Rivers truly showed that his ability is definitely tapering off. He doesn't have the zip on the ball anymore. He's taking chances that he just can't find his receivers the way he used to. So, I mean, if you're going to give him in the realm of, what, 10, 15, 20 million dollars for one or two seasons as a stopgap until you find your replacement, I mean, Phillip Rivers will keep you in the conversation of 7 and 9 to 9 and 7. I mean, is that what you really want if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I really don't don't think so, but I mean, that's an interesting topic. And then it goes to the point of saying this isn't this tampering. So um, the free agent period doesn't doesn't begin till I believe March 16th. So when you see a player moving his entire family to the state of Florida and then suggesting he's going to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then if he does sign there, I mean, what uh, uh, repercussions are going to happen in that instance? But nevertheless, it's all it is all speculation. I mean, uh, Rivers uh, uh, moving his family to Florida. Obviously, it's a slow news day in that regard, but. It's it does leave uh, the door wide open for a lot of conversation on where he is going to play next season. It is interesting to say the least. So the next one we saw that was extremely interesting in our eyes was Brady says he's going to be methodical in the free agent process. We've heard the conversation happen now for quite some time suggesting that Tom Brady's time in New England is is uh, almost a certainty. I wouldn't suggest that. I believe the door is still wide open for Tom Brady to return to New England, attempt to um, dominate the AFC East once again, and then return to the Super Bowl. Is there another squad in the AFC at the moment that desperately needs a quarterback or that is a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl? And even in that respect, is Tom Brady... Um, still polished enough to get that next team to the Super Bowl. I caught Stephen A. Smith discussing this exact topic today, um, caught his clips on social media, him suggesting that Tom Brady would be a good fit in Tennessee with former teammate Mike Vrabel, and now the head coach, obviously. So the discussion is there. I can understand it. I could see it. But, I mean, how well Ryan Tannehill played this season do you believe Tannehill is better than Tom Brady? I, at this point, you have to say yes, don't you? I mean, Tom Brady, much like Phillip Rivers, he has lost a lot of zip on the on the fastball. His deep ball is basically gone, and he will continue to nickel and dime down the field. Does Tennessee have better weapons than what the New England Patriots had in their receiving core this season? I mean, yes, you can make that argument, absolutely. A.J. Brown is an up-and-comer. Corey Davis is still under-realized potential. I, I don't know, has his ceiling been hit? Maybe. 
Um, he's a very interesting, difficult player to evaluate at this point. Corey Davis, uh, loads of loads of uh, potential, but just never coming to fruition. Um, Johnu Smith, he's looking mighty great in his third season, racking up career highs. And then if you do sign Derrick Henry to this offense, having Tom Brady as the quarterback was the argument to say um, that he could relieve the pressure from Brady, opening up that play-action pass to nickel and dime teams down the field. Will it work? It definitely could. I could see that. But outside of that, who are we talking about that is on the, the cusp of, Oakland, uh, can we see Brady go to Oakland? I don't see it. The Chargers, perhaps. Um, but when he says he's very methodical, is he considering the NFC? Would you really want to go to the NFC in a in a much more powerful conference than what the AFC is at this point? I mean, if you're Tom Brady and you're still wanting one last kick at the can, you want to win that Super Bowl just to ride off into the sunset. I mean, you got to stay in the AFC. I mean, the teams are just weaker in the AFC at this point. And 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 why would you even consider going to the NFC? With again, the the question is what team is really a couple players away, including a quarterback of Tom Brady's age, to get them over the top. So, I mean, I this this whole thing is playing itself out. I I won't be shocked if he goes back to New England. Everyone's saying Tom Brady has sold his house. His trainer for TB12 has sold his house in the Boston area, and and they're planning to um to go and 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 see what the open market has in store for them uh, when it comes to a new contract. So the Tom Brady thing is quite interesting, no doubt about it, but it is something to keep your eye on. Everything at this point of the season, I mean, we haven't reached the Super Bowl yet. We still have two weeks till the season's over, but already off-season speculation is at an all-time high. So adding another story that caught my eye that I was extremely upset about, we will hit the college ranks here, the Clemson fantastic fabulous running back Travis Etienne he left his decision to return to college to play his senior season I am broken hearted if if you guys don't know this kid Travis Etienne you really need to go and watch his tape I have studied this man numerous amounts of times and every time I watch his his tape of his games Everything just stands out even more. He's extremely fast. He's deceitfully powerful. His cut, I mean, it could be one of his weaknesses. He's not a, a massive uh, one cut, but he has enough juke in him to make him make defenders miss. He is, I would say, above average in the pass game, and he can block. So I, I really had this man pegged as uh, my top-ranked uh, college running back at this point of the season. I mean, we still have a lot to dissect as the offseason does open up, but Travis Etienne returning to Clemson was a shocker. I could not believe that he he gave up the dollars to return back to school to try again for that national championship. Obviously, if everyone follows the sport, LSU did beat Clemson, so I mean, maybe he's going back for revenge. He wants to win it one more time to see if he can close out his college career that way. But I mean, it is a hurtful one. I really expected him to make waves in the NFL in his rookie season, but we will have to wait on him until 2020. So going back again, we'll recap what had happened on NFC and AFC Championship weekend. The Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Tennessee Titans 35-24 to in rather convincing fashion after that second quarter. And the San Francisco 49ers 
dominated the Green Bay Packers 37-20. That score is not indicative of how the game actually went. So the Super Bowl 54 is now set up for the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Like we said, we will break down the contest next on next week's show, but it should be a dandy. I am really excuse me, absolutely excited for this matchup. I think it's going to be a great showing. It is basically the great offense of the Kansas City Chiefs versus the extremely stout defense of the San Francisco 49ers. So defense normally wins championships, so maybe that's a little foreshadow into where we are headed for our opinion for next week's show. But on that note, thanks for tuning in. We always appreciate you. You can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore ADF1. You can find the show on Twitter at ADF Underground. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you find your shows. So once again, like I said, we always appreciate you. And until next week, stay humble, stay peaceful, and take care of each other. I'm out.